Anybody watch any of the, the nature shows on TV or Netflix? Yeah, which one do you watch? Planet Earth, David Attenborough is my man. His voice is so soothing, and you just get these, these vistas of massive herds of animals. Um, Blue Planet is, you said Blue Planet, right. Planet Earth was the other one I was thinking of. Um, and it just feels like there's this string of shows and movies about nature and creation, and, and we experience that, and we see this footage of, of God's beauty and it's, it's breathtaking, isn't it? It's, it's, it's awe-inspiring to see what God has made. And so today we're looking at, at chapters 1 and 2. And the, the other thing that I love about Genesis, right, the creation account, is that it gives us this, this image of the world before sin, which I just hate sin. I hate the fall. And... Um, and so reading these two chapters, reading about God's, God's original design and what that looks like before we go and mess it up is a beautiful thing. Um, and we know that we're going to experience it one day in heaven. But I love to look back and see what God had in mind when he started this whole thing. And he, he lifted the curtain for the show of history. Um, and I think for, for, for all of us, right, everybody asked this the question at some point in their life. Where do we come from? Where do we go? Where do we come from? No, no, no. We, we all asked that question. We all have. Some of you got that. You were there for Kristen. Kristen, Kristen picked it up right there. Where is our origin, right? Where do we come from? Where... Where do we go? Where, where, where do we come from? What's our history? Why are we here? And it would be, it, you know, maybe we haven't thought of that. And yet how many different accounts do we have of the creation of the world? Right? It seems like every culture throughout history has come up with some explanation as to how we all got here. Everybody at some point looked around and said, this exists. I see that. How? Why? And so every, every culture, every history has tried to figure out and create some kind of narrative, right, to explain this existence, matter, where we come, uh, why we are here. And it's, it's, it's full of theology, right? The, the Christian narrative. It's two short chapters that the author of, of Genesis gives to this account. Two short chapters, and we really can miss it if we're not paying attention. We just read through it, and there's, but there's so much there. There's so much there. And when we read Scripture, we have to remember that the author of Genesis who's most likely Moses, right, writing to the Israelites in, in a land that is surrounded by, by um, Egypt and, and other cultures that have their own creation narrative, right? And so he's, he's inserting God's story. He's inserting the, God's history where God says, 
this is how it really happened. This is what happened. This is how we got here. And we like to spend a lot of time trying to answer questions that Genesis isn't necessarily uh, trying to answer, right? We have questions about, well, how long did creation take? Was it six literal days? Were they, were they metaphorical days? Like, is the earth hundreds of millions and billions of years old? Is it 6,000? Like, everybody, there's so many theories, and yet the account in Genesis, it doesn't really answer that question. Because the author of Genesis has a different question that he's trying to answer. So we're going to look at that because there's, there's so much theology and, and so many things that we understand that set up the rest of Scripture that we see in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. In the creation account, we find specifically important information about God, creation, and us, humanity. Three characters, and really, we're going to start with God, because he, he's the main character here, right? It's not about us. He is set up in the beginning, right? So if you want to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1, we're going to, we're going to read verse 1. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. So there was a beginning, and God was there which means that God was there before the beginning, which is hard for us as finite creatures to wrap our minds around. And that's okay because we're not God. We're humans, we're created. And so for us to think about what it means to be there before the beginning is supposed to be hard for us to understand because God is God and we are not. So in the beginning, God he created the heavens and the earth. And in these two chapters, and we're not going to read all of it because I want to focus on some specific things, we see three things about who God is. Number one, God is good. God is good. In his creation, God is good. In the way that he creates, God is good. In what he creates, God is good. The fact that God, in his infinite majesty, right, who existed before there was time, decided as the Trinity, I'm going to create, I'm going to speak, where before there was nothing, I'm going to speak into existence, all that is. And we see this as you read these chapters at the end of every day. God looked out over what he had created and declared that it was good. Because it was. And it made sense and it reflected his beauty, his wisdom. He was good. God is also present. Right? Other creation narratives, other myths, creation comes about through chaos, right? Through, through random collision events and, and just it kind of happens. And maybe there's a God, maybe there's multiple deities, but there's no direct actor. There's no, there's no person pushing this forward with his hand upon it, guiding it and directing it. And yet in creation, in Genesis, 
right there at the beginning, God. And he speaks, and he's active, and he's involved with his creation. He doesn't take his hand off of it and just let it be. In the beginning, at the start of everything, God was there. And you know something? He's still here. He has not changed. What was true before sin, before the fall, what was true at the beginning of creation is still true because God doesn't change. And so just as he was and spoke into creation, he's still speaking and he's still here. And we see that even in creation today. His love that he communicates through us. I mean, I think about what we feel when we are surrounded by nature. And some more than others, I I get that. I get that. We don't do bugs. We don't do heat. We don't do dirt. But I think we can all appreciate deep within us that stirring of, of what God creates, right? The beauty of a flower or whatever it is that speaks to you. I think we see God speaking to us, which is why in Revelation, uh, in, in Romans chapter 2, God's general revelation, right? We see that. It's called God's general revelation, where he speaks to us through his creation, where we see his design in the way that creation is structured and ordered and works. God's speaking to us and saying, here I am. Do you see it? Thousands of years, hundreds of thousands, tens of thousands of years, we still see this. He's not passive, but working to bring about creation. In verse 7 of chapter 2, it says specifically how God breathes life into our nostrils. He breathed life and made us, he gave us a spirit. We didn't just come about on our own, but God was directly, intimately involved in making me and in making you. And I feel his love in that, in that he wanted that intimacy in the way that he created us. I'm thankful that our God is involved in creation. I'm thankful that he plays a part in us, that he hasn't abandoned us. I think in, 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 even if we go into chapter 3, and I'm not going to really spend too much time there today, but he was walking in the garden. So I picture him just walking in the garden. He was involved. He was present and still is. And the third thing that we see specifically about God in creation is his power. He's powerful. God brought creation into existence with a simple word. All he had to do was speak. And light and earth and waters and land, and vegetation, and fish, and birds, and stars, and the moon, and the sun. And can you picture it? Can you just imagine it with a simple word? Just speaking it into existence. 
the beauty, so much of what we see. I think of the, the I'm, you know what, I'm thankful for, for technology simply because we get to see more and more of, of God's creation. And, and Planet Earth, Blue Planet, all of those shows like that, that look inward, and I would recommend it, okay? Louis Giglio has two, uh, two talks that he has, Indescribable and How Great Is Our God. Go on YouTube when you get home, look those up. Because what, what Louis Giglio does is he looks out at the expanse of our universe. The stars and the galaxies and the nebulas. I mean, Sombrero Nebula, anybody? Uh, nebula, anybody? Or Sombrero Galaxy. Has anybody ever seen that one where we see it head on? And there's so many others that just... Just, I mean, we're never going to reach it, right? But we have telescopes and things that we can see it. And I look at it, and I, and I just am shocked and awed that God would think, you know what? We need a few of these. Let's just put a couple of these in here just to show off. <laughs> and we see that. And I'm thankful that we get to see God's power in creating these these massive galaxies and just bodies in space that are absolutely beautiful. <laughs> and I just get excited talking about it because it's like, he didn't have to do that. He didn't have to do that. And yet he did. We don't, we don't grasp the significance of this because there, there are many rebels in God's kingdom and on earth, but there's no rivals, Right? There can be many rebels in creation, but there's no rivals, right? God didn't struggle. There was no struggle when God created. He didn't have to fight anybody. He didn't have to, there were no opposing gods. There was no chaos. It was just God, and he spoke, and it was there. And we don't grasp the significance of it. God did not create an earth amidst other forces. He created it alone. No one else and nothing else can claim to have such power and such ability to create something from nothing. Right? We can move matter around, and we've done a pretty good job of it, but to take nothing and make something, only God. And this was revolutionary at the time that Genesis was written. Other creation accounts, they, they include this chaos and, and opposing forces that were involved in the creation narrative. Which leads me to, to because I want to talk about creation itself, right? And what we see in that. And the first thing that we see in creation is that really what it is, right? And the way that it's brought about is that it's a testimony. It's a testimony of who God is and, and what he's done. And to, to really encapsulate that, I want to turn to, to Psalm uh, 19. Psalms has some amazing uh, poetry that just looks at creation and understands its role. So verses 1 through 6 of Psalm 19 goes like this. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day 
to day it pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. Can you picture what he's talking about? And like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heart. The heavens declare the glory of God. I hope you see that when you look at the heavens. I hope you see that it's a testimony to who God is and his presence and his existence. The other thing that we see with creation is that it's a, it's a gift. Okay? God didn't have to create anything. He existed fully as God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He existed fully and self-sufficiently before anything was ever brought into existence. He did not need us, right? We are here out of his graciousness and his goodness. Creation was a gift. All that we see is an outflow of the goodness of God. There's no transaction that we give something back to him that he was lacking. This is simply because God is who he is. And the last thing that we see about creation is that it was ordered. Verse 24 of Psalm 104, and we're going to read that later, it says that God in wisdom made it all. That wisdom was there at the beginning. God had the, the blueprint and the foundation of wisdom as he laid out creation so that it works. And when you really dig into it, and you see the complexity of, of everything that exists, right down from the smallest microscopic organism to the laws of physics and gravity. It works. And the planets rotate and, and, and revolve. It works. We see God's wisdom in the order of creation where you had the, the first three days as God uh, created the vessels of creation, and then in days four, five, and six, he filled it with each of the different um, the occupants that were going to be in those different vessels. So he created the ocean, and then later he would go back and fill the ocean. He would create the land, and then he would go back and create the land. He would create the sky, and then he would go back and fill the sky. But he had a process. He had wisdom to it. And creation is ordered. The other thing that we see, the other character, the other agent that we see in creation is us, mankind, humanity. Where God, on the sixth day, at the end of creating everything else, the crowning achievement is us. And we see a couple things in us as well that, that lay out 
the pattern for the rest of Scripture that's so important and so unique to Christianity. And the first one is that the most important, and it's this. We are marked as image bearers of God. Genesis 1, 26 and 27 says this. Then God said, let us make man in our image. In our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. This goes for everyone that we come in contact with. Everyone that we see is created in the image of God. And there's a lot of, of um, scholars, scholarly works about what does that really mean, right? There's been a lot of study on what does it mean that we are made in his image. And we could go into that a lot, but, but what I think what it means really simply is that we have pieces of God in us. We have a, 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 a resemblance of God. Not that we're divine, but that we are marked with, a, with the qualities of God, right? A soul, a spirit, rational thought. This goes for the people that we want to look down upon. This is true for the people that we don't get along with, the people that we love to ridicule, the people that we want to distance ourselves from. Everyone that we come in contact with is an image bearer and made in the image of God. This goes for the people that we cannot stand. And since the person that we sometimes struggle with the most is ourselves, this goes for you too. You are made in the image of God. He shaped you and formed you, not to be like the, the other animals, but he made us. And this was, this was revolutionary too because Throughout history, we've seen in society, right, the separation of classes. And if you go all the way back to Egypt, you had specific people that were only image bearers of God. Like I think of Pharaoh, right? He was someone who was the incarnation of God. And everybody else was, was second class and subservient. And yet what God did when he came along and inspired Moses to write this was saying, it's not just special people that bear the image of God. It's everyone. We're all image bearers of God. And the responsibility that comes with that is that we have a purpose. Right? In verse 28 of chapter 1, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens 
and over every living thing that moves on earth. He includes in chapter 2, verse 15, the Lord God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work and keep it. Even before the fall, there was work, which, which is, for some of us, that's hard for us to think because we equate work with, with sin and struggle. And the, to, to imagine that there was work before this world got as messed up as it is, is hard for us to understand sometimes. But really what God is saying is that work is good, I promise you. And for those of us who have, in certain circumstances, and I'm being very careful here because work is a struggle for many of us, and if we didn't have to, we would love to not have to work. But God placed man, Adam and Eve, in the garden to work it and to keep it. We have uh, a role to, to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and, and have dominion over it. God made us stewards over this world. To go out and to be his ambassadors and to bring order and to rule in his creation. And to reflect his qualities. Which, is, which I, I just love that it pushes us back to him. Because in order to truly fulfill our calling here on earth, we need to understand who God is, right? And what his qualities and what his attributes are, that we then take that and bring that out as we live out our calling. So we were created in the image of God. We were created with a purpose. Finally, what we see in creation for us is that we were created for community. God said when he saw Adam alone. He recognized it is not good for man to be alone. It's not good for us to be alone. Has anybody, can anybody testify to that over this past, however, 16 months that we're in this now? Where we are not good by ourselves. We do not do good by ourselves. We are not created to be in isolation And if anything, this pandemic has brought that to the forefront, where when we go without human interaction, we struggle. And I I can personally attest to this because, you know, as as we go through life and, and we go from one appointment to the other, and we just kind of are like stones being skipped across the water, right? Touching down here and then skipping across and touching down there and never really being in and being present in where we are. I had been missing that. And then Friday night, I, I had dinner with a couple guys, and we just sat around and, and talked and fellowshiped. And I left there full, not just in my stomach, but full emotionally and spiritually. And then yesterday morning, we had a group of people who showed up, took three hours out of their Saturday, and we worked. And it was good. I left there feeling tired, but but good and full because we worked, but we were together. We were side by side talking and laughing together in community. I look at our society today 
and how easily it breeds isolation. One thing that, that, one thing that I've really been wrestling with, and, and Kristen, you could post this on Facebook later to, to create some debate here, um, self-checkout lanes at the, at the grocery store, yay or nay? Because I think there's some controversy here. And what I've seen, and so maybe I hope this doesn't sway it too much, but I see the convenience of it. And maybe like if I've got one or two items that's not produce, so I have to figure out the, the key code to put in, and I'm standing there looking like an idiot. Um, but but when, I, when I go and I check out, and I think of the convenience of not having to deal with people, Right? And I can go and I can feel special and see how quickly I can check out and feel like a professional and I can line everything up so the barcode is right there ready to go and I hope I'm not the only one that has that experience. Um, but I, I, I've thought about how we've engineered our society to limit human interaction. Where I don't have to deal with people. Uh, we, we, we had stopped at McDonald's, and, and I was going to, because um, we were coming home from a concert uh, in New Hampshire recently, and so I went up to the window to, 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 to order, like the, the counter, and they had the plexiglass, and on the plexiglass was a sign that said, please go to the kiosk and order at the kiosk, where you stand, and you, it's touch screen, and it's cool, because it's like this big interactive thing, but there was nobody, there was nobody to take my order, and so we're, we're engineering human interaction out of our daily routine in the name of convenience. And, and I, as I thought about this, right, I thought about the opportunities that come from something as simple as the checkout line. And our, and our part of our mandate, right, part of our responsibility as, as humans and as specifically as Christians to interact with each other and to be a, a light. And maybe in the checkout line, when we see that teenager who's struggling because they've had to have the same uh, 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 rehearsed conversation with, with the 60 people that were in front of you, how we have an opportunity in that moment, in that conversation, to, to speak something to them and share something with them. And so we were created for community. And I think about, you know, so we've got small groups coming up. We're launching them in the fall. And, and if you're not in one, and if you have not been in one, please experience the, the messiness that comes from being around people. And I get it. But experience the fullness that comes from sharing life with each other. The word of God, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, the, the world that God created, right, was for us to be in community with each other. And yet the world that we see in Genesis chapter 1, chapter 2, is not the world that we see today. It's broken. It's messy. People frustrate us. And yet I want to leave us this morning with a road map for what to do with this creation story, right? Because I think Genesis 1 and 2, in the way that it sets up the rest of the Bible and the rest of, of our existence, is that it's more than just sunsets. But I think it lays out a pattern for us as we look ahead that there's something for us here, even today. 
That there's more than just it was created and now it's here. I think there's things that we can pull from this. Specifically, right, as things were culminated, as creation was, was finished, as God looked out at what he created and on day six declared it was not just good, it was very good. Because the first thing that we see is that God rested. On the seventh day, the act of rest. He set an example for us and later instituted the practice of Sabbath, which is the only commandment that we celebrate breaking, by the way. Um, so he modeled for us what this looks like. That one day we will enter into the same rest that God experienced in two ways. There's an eternal rest when we, when we are reunited with him. And there's a more um, immediate rest. There's a more present rest as well. Because there was another time after God had finished his work on the sixth day, he rested. There was another time when work was done. When the work had been accomplished. And it's in John 19.30. And you can just put that down in your notes. Because when Jesus had received the sour wine in John 19.30. It says when Jesus had received the, the sour wine. He said it is finished. The work that he had been sent to do and establish was done. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Jesus finished the work that we could never do. It's why in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 6 through 11, it says, Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter it because of disobedience. Again, he appoints certain days, specifically today, saying through, the, uh, through David, so long afterward in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on, meaning the day of his son, Jesus. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. There's a rest that we enter into just as God did. And that rest is when we put aside our own striving for salvation and good deeds and striving to save ourselves and say, put our hands in, in Jesus and what he did. And we experience that rest because Jesus did the work. The second thing that we do, not just resting with God, but we look ahead to the restoration of creation. And Romans eight eighteen to 25 talks about the groaning of creation, how creation is longing for the day when it can be made right, when it can go back to the way that things were before sin and brokenness entered into the world. Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of the present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption 
and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We have that groaning as well. Where we understand and we live in this tension between the, the already and the not yet. Because we, our eyes and our hearts have been opened to the reality that this brokenness is not the only way that things have to be. Right? This is, not, this is the reality that we're living in right now. But there's a greater reality that's waiting for us. This is simply a shadow of what should be. And we should be longing for that. We should be uncomfortable living here. There should be a, a discontent, an unsettledness to how we carry ourselves. Because we know that there's something waiting for us. This we will find in the, in, in the culmination of the new heavens and the new earth where God will restore that which was broken. In Revelation 21, verses uh, 1 through 4, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, um, prepared as a bride adorned, for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And if you picture in your mind, Two bookends, right? Creation being the one bookend and Revelation 21 being the other end of this story. And we're in the middle. We're in between these two pieces. And the last thing, the restoration of uh, creation and, and Revelation 21 ties into this, the reunion of man with God, where he will be our God and we will be his people First John uh, 3, 2 says that we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. Not behind the, the, the veil that separates us um, in this broken world, but fully, without sin, we will see him. And so, um, to, to close and to wrap this up, I was going to read Psalm 104, but I don't think I have time. And so I would, I would recommend you just read through Psalm 104 because it's another one that just gushes out praise of God for creation. And I would say, that is the last thing as we go that I think should, should come out of this creation account is that we should worship God simply for what he has created. When we look around us and we see what he has done, what he has built, 
there should be a stirring in our hearts to worship him. We should be compelled and led in to worship. We are surrounded by the work of a good, giving God. So as the worship team comes up, if you want to write this down, I think, I think this is the, the crux of what I want you to walk away from with this morning in terms of creation. It's that we remember what was, right? Remember what was and what God created in all that he created. And look ahead to what will be. Remember what was and look ahead to what will be. Worship him for what he has done. Obey him for what he has told us to do. And trust him for what he will do. Worship him for what he has done in bringing us here. Obey him for what he has told us to do. And trust him that one day what we saw in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 we will see again. I'm going to close uh, just with, with a prayer. But my heart for you this morning is that as we go, we look at creation a little bit differently. We look at ourselves a little bit differently. And we look at God a little bit differently this morning. So would you bow your heads and pray with me? God, I thank you for what you've done. I thank you, God, that you, you stitched us together. Lord, that you knew every step that we would take and how all of this would play out. And, and even in the garden, as, as early as, as Genesis chapter 3, Lord, as soon as we messed up and ruined creation, Lord, you were right there. God, that the enemy would strike your heel, but you would crush his head. And that we have the promise and a hope of a restored creation one day. Lord, that we can look around us and see your hand in all of it. Lord, it's in your name we pray. Amen.